This is Cultivating Convos with the Ohio Department of Agriculture. And it's fun to have everyone else kind of get a little insight into what we do. Dan, if you could send me a gram of gold. You all laughed at the beginning of this podcast when I turned my fireplace off. Shelby, (laughs) let's wrap this thing up. It's time again to cultivate some convos. Right, Meg? Dig, dig, dig. Dig Dig them up, Shelbs. (laughs) Oh, what do we have to talk about this week? Um, Are you serious? (laughs) Bring them in. The new chaos in in our lives over here? Is that that what we should talk about? Um, A thousand times, yes. (laughs) So... My, our, our family of six over here decided that one dog wasn't enough this weekend, so we got a second one. Golden Doodle Kevin, and he is adorable. Honestly, to me, that's just the name of all names for a dog. I love it, Kevin. Not to mention, the dog is the cutest thing I've ever seen. I know, I know. Well, we got the name from uh, the movie Up. Did you ever see oh, that? Yeah. Okay. Yes. So that was the bird in Up, and we just thought that was the most ridiculous, funny name ever. And so we're like, why do we name the dog that? <laughs> it's perfect. <laughs> perfect. Oh, and I, I guarantee at some point during this podcast, um, Tuna and Kevin will start acting up. So we have that to look forward to. That sounds right. I feel like pretty much any meeting, uh, the communications gals are on. Someone's got a dog popping in or out. We have to step away for a moment <laughs> to get them out of trouble or whatever the heck they're doing. So that's that tracks. It's the truth. We have a very lively morning meeting, that's for sure. If I'm awake. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> Meg's not, not a morning person, we've discovered. Not a morning person. Not so not a night person. <laughs> <laughs> really a middle of the day person is just fine. I love when I text you at 8.30 and I get a text back in the morning. You know I wasn't awake. <laughs> I like to get in bed. I like to watch a show or two. And then I'm done for the day. It's over. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. I've got to try to get up earlier or stay up later. I don't know. I need more daylight. I'm a vampire. Oh, have a kid. It changes everything. I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> You good with Archie? Yeah, he's a plenty. We need to we need to actually we gotta figure out a a podcast where we can actually talk about dogs. Let's let's put that in our that's a good idea in our future. File that Mm -hmm. one away. Yep. But instead of dogs this week, we are talking pests and birds. Yes. And we're gonna get to it. (laughs) So Megs, we're doing a little bit of a podcast mashup this week. We are. We have a couple things going on, a couple things going on this week. And I guess the first one we're going to talk about is North American Invasive Species Awareness Week. So um, to help us chat about this, we brought on our chief of our Division of Plant Health, Dan Kenny. Thanks for being here again. My pleasure. Thank you. Dan, why don't we start? uh, I think, why don't you just explain to everyone out there what invasive species are, invasive pests are? 
Well, there's there's a lot there's a lot of definitions of you know so the the legal side of me doesn't really want to you know say exactly what they are, but the, there's different different definitions depending on uh, um, what you're uh, using them for. But basically, an invasive species is a um, non-native uh, species that causes damage um, to either um, crop yields, uh, the environment, especially. Um, or to, to even human activities. So things like boating and, um, uh, or, you know, enjoying the outdoors can be impacted by invasive species as well. But um, most of the time, what we're talking about is damage from an invasive species to our native uh, environment. So Dan, what are the, I guess, top three invasive species in Ohio, or do we have several um, that are of m most concern here? Um, well, for in my realm, you know, we, we mostly work with invasive insects and diseases and and most recently invasive plants. Um, and then there's others that would be experts on aquatic invasives like like uh, Asian carp, and the, those kind of things. Um, for us uh, in plant health, the 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 biggest ones that we're working on right now, um, obviously the Asian longhorn beetle. Uh, program in Claremont County is a huge undertaking between us and the USDA to try to control that invasive species that basically impacts our forest, our maple trees primarily, and maple syrup industry. Um, another uh, is um, our gypsy moth program aimed to sort of protect that uh, that oak resource in, in uh, Ohio that is really valuable. One of our biggest exports is white oak. Uh, of the state and um, and then lastly we, we really have our eyes open uh, and are are being very vigilant about looking for spotted lanternfly um, and so those are kind of the three bugs that we've got um, uh, in our uh, at the forefront um, we also work with uh, through the um, ODA has an invasive plants advisory committee um, and we are made up of folks from DNR, uh, Ohio EPA, uh, academia, and industry, and we meet to talk about plants that have potentially invasive characteristics and uh, trying to get a handle on um, limiting the sales of, of any species that uh, we've determined are harmful to, the, to our native areas. Why, Dan, why is it important to be aware of these? I mean, what what is what is the end result? What is the damage that they cause? Um, well, for each one, you know, it's a little bit different, but um, in in large part, the damage is to our native areas. So those areas like state parks, like our uh, natural areas, um, or even a forested area that might be on your property or uh, on um, you know on a, someone who owns a large tract of land, um, invasive species if uh, if left unchecked, they they can in like in the case of emerald ash borer, a lot of people have seen the damage that that causes. It's it's gone from tree to tree, kills trees. Um, those trees are then left, you know, having to be dealt with either by a homeowner. Um, and in a forested area, you know, you've got a a, a large amount of material there that's um, fallen or or falling apart, um, and it is it basically a mess. Um, that, that has to be cleaned up. And I think in, in the case of invasive plants, it's similar where these um, plants are spread by seed and there's no real um, natural check on their 
their um, establishment and, and spread. And so they crowd out a lot of the other species that would that would normally grow in some of these areas and come up. Um, and and that can impact wildlife. It can impact, um, you know, just a, a number of different things. And we have tons of education. I mean, we have literature on our website. We've done videos, I think, about all three insects that you named, Dan, um, and those are on our YouTube pages and social pages. So, Dan, why it is why is it important that we, you know, continue to um, spread education and, and awareness to people about about these insects? It, it's important because it, when we are able to act early on in, in an infestation, like in the case of spotted lanternfly, we can if we find it locally, um, there's things we can do to to put that, you know, to to control those establishments and and thereby slow down the spread of these invasives. In the case of like Asian longhorn beetle, um, it's a bug that we can actually eradicate. We've seen it eradicated in other parts of the country. And we're making good progress, and and that keeps our not only does it protect our native areas, it protects our agricultural markets um, for, for being open to exports so that uh, our our growers um, and loggers and shippers can can ship their products into other states and other countries by limiting you know the impacted areas. Um, so there's there's a number of things and then you know also the crop yield that uh, can be affected by um, you know a new disease or a new insect on uh, in our orchards our our vineyards, even our agronomic fields. All right, let's go back to that good news about ALB. Can we talk about that? Sure. <laughs> so tell us what, what what's about to happen here. Well, we're um, we've been making progress, obviously, in in the ALB area. Um, we've we've eradicated ALB from Monroe Township, from Stonelook and Batavia Township, as we've announced over the last few years. And we're making progress again in the East Fork State Park area. So we're basically double checking and crossing our T's, dotting our I's to make sure we've got everything uh, uh, to a comfort level where we'll hope to uh, be able to deregulate that area very soon. Yeah, we've been working, Shelby, I think you and I pretty closely with ALB. So I feel like I have an unusual amount of knowledge about that bug. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, of course, Dan. Um, I was out there. Oh gosh, was that October for the uh, tree climbers? Yeah, I was there with you. Tree climbers. That was really cool. Those guys were awesome, and they do a great job um, checking those trees. They get so high up there. <laughs> There's no yeah, way. The, yeah, the climbers are definitely the the secret weapon against ALB. Uh, they they can uh, get up and really inspect the entire surface of the trees and and you know come down with a very high confidence level that that it's that that area is clean so they're very valuable resource for the program all right that's this probably about does it unless um you want to stay on and talk about birds dan i, I don't you know i don't think so turkey i they like to eat turkey does that count same unfortunately i think we're talking about more than just turkey but you know that's good to know okay well we appreciate you, Dan. Thanks for coming on. Thank you. Well, we are back with part two, um, our mashup podcast. And this time uh, we're talking about birds, Shelves. That's right. This is a hot topic right now. We have um, our state veterinarian with us, Dr. Dennis Summers. Hi, Dr. Summers. Hi. Good to be with you. 
So we are talking about uh, Bird Health Awareness Week, but this is especially timely right now. Mm -hmm. uh, yes, oh, it is. There is a, oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, there is a lot of activity going on with birds. So happy to chat about it. So Dr. Summers, uh, there is a lot of activity happening, um, not in Ohio that we're aware of, but definitely in surrounding states. Can you talk about what's going on right now? Sure. Um, well, you know, in the last couple of weeks, we've seen quite a bit of activity here in um, this eastern part of the U.S. Uh, that started up in the far eastern sections of Canada over near Newfoundland, there was some detections for high path avian influenza, which is a virus that uh, can be quite devastating to commercial poultry and backyard poultry as well. And we have been watching and monitoring what's going on with that. And there's been a lot more detections that have moved from eastern Canada down into the U.S., affecting populations with not just wild birds like ducks and things like that, but also with some either backyard producers or in some cases, some commercial uh, turkey and uh, chicken operations. Some of the states uh, have been along the eastern seaboard, like the Carolinas and Virginia, but there have been some detections a little closer to home, which has um, you know, definitely perked our ears up here um, in Kentucky and Indiana. And then last week, late last week, we got notified of another detection up in Michigan. So the state up north has got one too. Um, and we are almost kind of surrounded right now with uh, various detections. Now, they aren't they don't seem to be spreading from one farm to another, but they are popping up like one at a time periodically. Um, so that's kind of catching us up to speed over the last couple of weeks is uh, we've been watching that all of a sudden avian influenza has really just kind of walked up and down the eastern seaboard now moved closer here to us here in the in the Midwestern states. So, you know, I mean, we, we've talked about just the need to get the message out to uh, people who might have backyard flocks and what they should do. So uh, really, Dr. Summers, we'd love it if you just kind of tell everyone, you know, what, what the scoop is here. So, I mean, I'll just make an assumption that, you know, maybe some of the people that might be listening would not be necessarily associated with our state association, our state poultry association. So <laughs> Ohio Poultry Association is... Uh, going to have a lot of membership with most of our larger producers, larger scale producers. Um, so they're already getting, you know, showered with lots of information to maintain good biosecurity practices. And, uh, you know, we're trying to to increase that conversation here with smaller producers, backyard flocks, you know, where they are just as vulnerable. In fact, I think they might be even more vulnerable um, to, to this possible um, infection within their flocks than a commercial operation. You know, we talk a lot with this term biosecurity, right? You know, we we use that almost every day, and I, you know, it's it's sometimes uh, just kind of thrown around. But you know, what does that mean for the the average person listening? And you can think of it as the barriers and the hurdles that you implement to either keep a disease from coming onto your property or into your herd or flock, and then also the 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 vice versa is. If you do have a flock or a herd of animals that are infected with the disease, how do you keep it there and, and not let it come off of your premise? So you think of it as this like hurdle approach or these barriers that you put in place. 
maybe those barriers are man-made. Maybe they're a management barrier, you know, or some other administrative type thing where you say, I won't allow X number of people on my farm, or I'm reducing foot traffic by not letting people come onto my property anymore. I've put up some pest management things, some barriers to keep vermin and things like that from coming into my property. You know, again, looking at a backyard producer, but you know, why are backyard flocks so vulnerable? Well, a lot of them have outdoor operations. So the birds are out, they're free ranging, or they're, they have more of an open style of, uh, of enclosures because that's what a lot of people like. They like seeing their chickens running around in their backyard, uh, but that makes them vulnerable to the virus that is potentially being uh, spread right now through wild birds. That's one of the main reasons why we're seeing all these kind of, not necessarily random, but but randomly um, scattered along a known corridor of where these migratory birds are flying. So as the migratory birds come over and they're flying up and down these, these flyways, they're defecating and putting out droppings or they land in ponds and they, they congregate together, sometimes in very close proximity to commercial or backyard operations as well. You know, we all know somebody that has chickens and we also know that they probably have a small pond or something like that too, or it's there's one nearby. And so that creates the opportunity or the potential for the wild birds where the virus is endemic to come in contact with our commercial flocks or our backyard birds. And all of a sudden you have this spillover event where the virus jumps from the wild birds, the wild birds into the, um, commercial commercial side. So we talk about biosecurity with backyard producers. So we advocate for them. If you know your backyard producer, bring your birds indoors if you can. You know, it's probably not what you want to do, but it's going to help uh, protect your flock. You know, bring them inside, uh, inside their coops, you know, inside their their cages, not necessarily in your house. Although if you want to bring them in, I can see you. I can see you. <laughs> You can but, see what I'm laughing at over yeah, here. I'm thinking yeah. of like, but, like we don't have enough chaos in here. I could just see chickens running around. Well, this is, I mean, this is the world we live in. I've recently watched a TikTok video where there's a young lady that has birds in her house. So, you know, it's out there and, you know, people bring strange things into their house all the time. But the point is, is you're reducing that contact exposure through the environment. Uh, so that's one thing that that we're advocating to, you know, just general sanitary practices for the backyard producer, anything you can do to help wash your boots, you know, wash, you know, try to make sure you're using some sort of a disinfectant, um, you know, as you're coming off of the the area where you keep your flock, maybe as you go and go to another place, you know, make sure you're using um, disposable booties if you have them. I mean, I know it's not easy for everybody to go out and buy those, but they're relatively inexpensive that you can get. Um, establishing a, a rodent or pest control program, you know, you don't think about that, but you know, that, you know, vermin that will be coming in could potentially spread it through, um, this, this fancy word that we as veterinarians use called being a fomite, F-O-M-I-T-E. And a fomite is basically like a passive car carrier. You know, my, my iPhone is a potential fomite for, influenza. My phone is a, is a fomite to transmit potentially, um, uh, you know, any kind of like norovirus or something like that, right? It's just a, an inanimate object or some object that is touched or, you know, moves this virus from, virus from one thing to another. So our boots, our shoes, our hands, our clothes, our truck tires, um, you know, the cages that you might move your birds in, um, even the, the cartons that you collect your eggs in every day, right? So 
think about it, you buy farm fresh eggs from John Q. Public down the road. Who knows what he does with the, he or she does with those cartons? Maybe those cartons become potentially contaminated with the influenza, and all of a sudden you're you're passing it around to somebody else. And you know, those little things happen as well. And then the other thing, really, that we're trying to advocate a lot is, look, I mean, if you've got sick birds, you need to give us a call. We're we're here to help. We've had a couple of people that have sent through our general email here lately that said, hey, I've got some sick birds. And then when Dr. Summers, the state vet, responds back to them directly and says, hey, can you please give me a call? I'm just trying to be helpful, but I don't hear a peep back. And I'm not trying to, you know, I I, I wonder sometimes if, um, you know, they're like, oh, no, the state veterinarians call me. Well, you're not in trouble. We're, we're, we want to help you. We want to know what's going on so we can help you. So, like, don't, I, I really ask that the that smaller and backyard producers don't don't feel like you can't give us a call. We, we're here to help and uh, do what we can, but we need to know what's going on. If there are sick birds, we need to know about it. So give us a call and, and we can go from there. Dr. Summers, is this something that it's just a matter of time before it gets here? Or are we asking, you know, producers to take these preventative measures and educate yourself about biosecurity and check out those resources to help, you know, stop this from coming here. Yeah, I mean, the reality of it is, is we know that it's endemic in the wild birds and we know that there's wild birds all over the place. There's probably wild birds that that have landed on the most local water source right here next to ODA for all we know. So we know that it's there. We know that wildlife services, you know, the, the USDA's wildlife services is testing. They're doing surveillance within wild birds. So in all reality, it's probably flying over Ohio, okay, but we haven't had detections yet, um, which is good. It doesn't mean that we aren't doing some testing and surveillance, which we are, but we're ha we don't have any positives yet. So we're just continuing on making the assumption that tomorrow we might get a detection. Maybe Wednesday we get a detection. I think we have to be proactive with the assumption as a state that it's not a matter of if, but when, and we don't know when. Um, so we're going to assume that it could be any single day all the way through the end of the migratory season and then even maybe another 10 to 14 days beyond that. So, yeah, Megan, to get to your point is we're making the assumption that we're acting as if it's here and we're doing everything we can short of a state response to a detection. We're doing all everything we can right up to the point where we have a detection. So biosecurity is everything that 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 encompasses that. Um, so those are the actions and the steps that we're taking here. I, I, I don't know if we will be a state that has it, but if you look on the maps of the states that have had detections, Virginia, Maryland, Kentucky, Indiana, Michigan, you know, like you do the math and, and statistically we're at just as much risk as any other state within these flyways. Dr. Summers, could you go over what um, what the signs are, what someone would see in their birds? Yeah, so this is going to be, it's a respiratory virus, right? So you're going to see, um, you're going to, you could see anything just from a reduction in egg production. So if you've got laying birds, you could see um, a, a sudden drop in, in egg production. That could be just a subtle uh, trigger of maybe something that's developing. But typically what you might see is uh an increased death loss. So you're going to see this over maybe a day, maybe two days. You're going to see an increased number of birds that are dying or just generally sick. They go off feed. 
Uh, they become listless, kind of lethargic, laying, laying around. You, they may even have discolored combs and wattles. So those highly vascular areas of, of the head um, may become discolored. Um, and then you may see some swelling of the legs as well. Uh, and the combs and wattles could swell. Uh, labored breathing, again, it's a I mean, it's influenza, right? Think of what we would do if we had a raging case of influenza. We would have the same edema, right? We may see it as edema in our in our face or maybe our lower limbs because you know you've got some leaky blood vessels. Same thing here with the birds; they're going to have edema and swollen limbs, uh, labored breathing. They feel cruddy. They may seem like they have goopy, matty eyes. Um, they go off feed. They don't drink water. Uh, those are pretty common um, clinical signs that have been reported with high path avian influenza or with any avian influenza, especially, but, you know, we say high path because that's a scientific or that's a laboratory designation based off of that. But there's multiple types of avian influenza, different, um, uh, different, I'll say strains, but uh, there's low path, there's high path. That's a designation we use on our end, but uh, there's, there's some other ones that affect birds, but don't commonly cause us to get quite as, quite as alarmed, just like in humans. There's every year, you know, the, the, the influenza strains mutate and vary and change rapidly. And that's a that's a common theme within the influenza viruses. So, of course, we ask any producer who may be seeing those kinds of signs to call ODA immediately. And Dr. Summers may call you right back. <laughs> I might. And don't hang up on me and don't ignore my call, please. Like, just 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 hear us out. But. Yes, yeah, so we we try very hard to reach out to them and just say, hey, you know, a lot of these, um, a lot of these cases are, or can be very subtle. Um, if if you're not, if you don't have a lot of birds, you know, you see one or two die, you may say, oh, you know, it, it my my bird died, or you know, maybe it's really cold that day, or something happened. But you know, when you have a million birds in a in a house on a commercial side, they're going to expect a certain number of uh, you know, animals that or birds that may that may die on a monthly basis, but all of a sudden you see a 20% drop in egg production and 20% reduce reduction in feed intake over 24 hours. That's going to trigger something. You're going to see it easier with large numbers than you are maybe with just five or 10 birds. Um, but nonetheless, if you do have sick birds, give us a call. We want to talk to you. We may not have to come out, but we sure do want to know what's going on. We want to know where you've been. Have you been in contact with any other birds? Um, and we just need to, we need to be able to do our job and 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 we're here to help. That's exactly it. If any like all those people who are not returning your calls, I just want to say that Dr. Summers is the nicest guy you're ever going to meet. Right, Megs? He really is, though. <laughs> <laughs> oh, um, I appreciate that. Yes, we we, we try our best <laughs> to to make sure we yeah, it's a job we take seriously and. Yeah, yeah, we we just want to be we want to be helpful because what what turns out to be a backyard flock today or tomorrow could potentially spill over into something bigger. Um, and you know we all like eggs, we all like to eat chicken. Uh, I, well, I mean I say we, but uh, you know most I mean it's it's pretty big. Um, it's a pretty big industry. We're a huge poultry state, and uh, you know it's going to affect it uh, no matter what what happens. So we got to be vigilant about it. Got to keep those birds safe. All right, Dr. Summers, did we miss anything? Anything you wanted to add? Uh, no, always enjoy the podcast. Thank you. It's nice to 
kind of take the gloves off and have a little bit more relaxed conversation. So I, I, I appreciate that. Nice talking <laughs> with both of you as always. We didn't want to grill you, so. Oh, that's good. Thank you. <laughs> we, we try. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, thanks for being with well, us. Okay. You're welcome. Have a great day. Shelby, lots of knowledge coming from our animal experts and our insect experts. So we hope everybody learned uh, a little bit today. Moving on. I know I did. I don't know a lot about birds, so it's always interesting to me when we have bird experts on. It's it's just one of those one of those animals I've just never never gotten close with. Never had a bird. Well, <laughs> they're hard to get close to. <laughs> well, um, okay. Well, we're gonna wrap things up here. Uh, next week, though, I think is gonna be pretty exciting. We are gonna be promoting Ohio Ag Week, and we've got lots going on. I know Ag Week is always uh, always an awesome thing. You know, we kind of approached Ag Week a few different ways uh, in the past, either traveling around the state to different you know agricultural mm -hmm. venues. But this year, very exciting. We are highlighting the Ohio State Fair. Yep, all fair, all day, all ag. I know we are so excited that the Ohio State Fair is back this year. So mm -hmm. we are dedicating Ag Week to different aspects of the fair. So we have that to look forward to next week. See you then. Nope. Talk to you then. <laughs> Cultivating Convos is created by ODA's communications team. Make sure to hit subscribe to get the latest episodes in your feed and like ODA on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter for up-to-date news about agriculture in Ohio.